Well, uh, last night, a friend of mine, a young minister named David Felker, some of you may know David, he's one of the ministers at First Presbyterian Church down the street, a great church. Uh, He was uh, on this stage wearing my microphone, presiding uh, at a wedding right here in our house. And I said, man, y'all got water down there? He said, no, uh, we're we're going online only. And I said, man, we don't need water. We're going to invite some folks to church. Isn't it funny how months ago, toilet paper was so essential and now bathrooms are so non-essential? It's just kind of funny how that uh, works out. Hey, next week, uh, we are going to begin a new series. Today, we're going to close out this series called Disciple. We'll never stop talking about disciples and making disciples, but we are going to begin a new series next week called Trending. Do you follow the trends? We're going to ask you to question when everything globally, locally, and uh, sometimes for a lot of us, even personally, it seems like everything or most things are trending in the wrong direction. Anybody feel that way? So we're going to get some perspective uh, from First Peter. We're going to look over four weeks. We're going to look next week at hope, and then we're going to look at holiness. Uh, you're, you're going to want to hear that one. Then we're going to look at honor, and we're going to look, lastly, at, uh, at harmony. Uh, but we're going to look at people who had intense suffering. It's a terrible thing to do if you're a pastor, counselor, friend, to look at someone when they're telling you about their suffering and go, oh, you think you've got it bad. Well, you ought to. So we don't want to do that, but we do want this uh, ancient writing of the Christians in the first century at the time of Nero. We want it to frame uh, maybe some of the pain and angst that we're feeling and the trending that seems to be going in the, the wrong direction and then just get some perspective, guys. Uh, I need it. You need it. We need it. So we hope you'll... Uh, Tune in, take part, be here uh, for that. Hey, I want to begin with a, with a question. How many of you are aware, and of course we're talking to you guys at home. Somebody asked me this week over coffee, Robert, when are you going to stop giving a shout out to the people at home? Not, we're not going to. We're going to, I mean, we're going to keep doing it because they matter to us. We love you guys who are back, hoping uh, many of you will come back, all of you will come back, but we're still giving shout outs. But want to ask you, in the house or uh, at your house, want to ask you, if you're aware of uh, the online phenomenon now called Masterclass, anybody, if you would, just uh, so I, I'm, I don't feel so lonely up here, just nod, shake your head, give me some, okay. Uh, so some of you said, yes, you're aware of it. Anybody participated? Anybody subscribed? Anybody got a monthly membership to Masterclass? It is, uh, for those the uninitiated, which is a bunch of us, uh, it's a kind of a newer thing, and it's, I would say, a combination between Netflix and TED Talk. And so it's recognized uh, professionals, um, regular practitioners, uh, many of them are not regular, they're celebrity folks, and they uh, teach, you know, you pay money, you can do it all up front like anything, you do it all up front, you can do the monthly thing. Uh, These are hours and hours of classes on particular subjects from economics to culinary, examples uh, of it would be Samuel L. Jackson teaches one on uh, acting, Steve Martin teaches one on comedy, he could do comedy or banjo picking. Uh, there's uh, just a lot of good ones out there. And uh, Timbaland, anybody know Timbaland? He does one on producing and beat making. I'll probably uh, sign up for that master class myself. Uh, there, there's one on uh, uh, Texas Hold'em. And you're probably wondering, Ricky, you're probably wondering how, how I know that. Uh, look, I haven't signed up for it yet, but I'm thinking about it. Wouldn't that be cool if giving goes down? If a preacher invites himself over to your house, tricks you into a card game and takes some of your money, wouldn't that be kind of fun? So I may sign up for Texas Hold'em. But so the master class idea is that you would sign up, you would pay them, and that you would learn from, you would learn a craft. And survey says, some research I did for the sermon shows that a lot of people just have a casual interest in something. Their curiosity is peaked. They're uh, at home. They're in the house board. They're in the house board. And so they sign up for the master class and they're learning a little bit about something of interest or potential interest for them. 
Last week, this last week of our eight-week disciple series, I want to ask you this morning, if you're ready to go to the master class to learn from the master today, looking for a yes. I want to hear a yes out there. How about, let's do this. And so let's turn, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 12. You know we're going to put it up on the screen so you can be at ease. But if you want to open your Bibles to make sure I'm not pulling a fast one over on you, I'm not hoodwinking you and throwing some uh, crazy stuff at you, you can see it in print there. Uh, for the suspicious and distrustful, uh, or just the people who love to have their Bible. Uh, that's a good thing, really good thing. Uh, COVID protocol, safety measures has, has caused us to take out the Bibles. Y'all remember when we used to have Bibles in all the pews, the black ESV study Bibles, we would tell you to turn. Sometimes we'd even tell you the page number to turn to to take away the intimidation factor. Uh, nobody's shaking their head, nobody remembers that. Okay, great. Matthew chapter 12. So the, listen, so he is the teacher Jesus is the master teacher, and we are the students, and so we come to him today to learn from him. So let's do that, Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to learn three things about the church. Jesus teaches us. He takes us to school. He actually takes the Pharisees to school, but you got some Pharisee in you. I got a little bit in me, so we're going to learn from the master teacher. Y'all ready? I've asked you twice now. Matthew 12, 9 to 14, just a small part of this great Chapter 12, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? The best teachers are great question askers. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went away and inspired against him how to destroy him. So a few things to point out first in this passage. The first is it tells us, uh, don't miss this, it says that Jesus went to their synagogue. And I was thinking about this, preparing for it, and I got prayerful. And I got a little bit woeful and I wondered and I had some, just some consternation. And then it took me back to faith and hope and prayer. It says Jesus went to their synagogue. Now Luke 5 tells us a few other places in scripture says Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. We believe, look, more than ever, I was with some pastors a few weeks ago in Texas. We were all talking about the times in which we live. And we, but we all said as we get older, uh, we're not getting any better looking, but maybe we're getting a little bit wiser, but we believe passionately. This is coming from me, not just these guys, but we believe passionately in the church being gathered for us going to church. It's trendy to go, oh, you know, it's not to, you know, be the church and be out there. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely, definitely. But there's something about going and being, and when it's safe for everybody, come back and gather with God's people. Jesus went to the temple. He was rooted in the tradition and saw value in it. But here it says he went to their synagogue. Here's my thought. This is where I mean on bended knee this week. Lord, I, I never want that to be true that, that Jesus feels like he's coming to our church. Does anybody feel that? Like, I don't want this to be our church. I, you know what? I, I really don't want it. Y'all say amen when I say this, even though we're not an amen saying church. I don't want this to be my church. Like, I don't want that. Like, my Susan doesn't need it. My kids don't need it. I don't need it. If there's any longevity and joy and stability, this doesn't need to be my church. Now, I want to play a chief role. I feel God's called me to it. I feel he's entrusted me with it. But it's not my church. This is Jesus's church. 
Now, I'm the senior pastor. And I know it's trendy. It's been trendy the last few years. Chris, I bet you know this. A lot of the cool churches will be like the, the, the senior pastor is now called the lead pastor. He's no longer the senior pastor. He's the lead pastor. I'm like, okay, that'll, that'll, okay, yeah, whatever. Lead pastor, senior pastor, you know, we flip it, but it is what it is. And, but listen to me, here's the weight that I feel. This is, this is freeing, but this is Jesus's church. And when Jesus comes here, I hope he's here today. He is here today. I pray more and more that his manifest presence would be with us. But this is Jesus's church and you can play a role and I play a role. Here's the role that I play with a plurality of leaders. First Peter five, a couple of verses here in this chapter to the elders among you, plurality of leaders. I appeal as a fellow elder. By the way, when, you, when you're asking people to do this, you're challenging them, practice what you preach. The young people, got a lot of young people in the house. Got, I'm sure young people that are awake this morning watching this. Young people, everybody, but young people, practice what you preach. You will have people follow you. Uh, you you're always going to struggle with sin. You're always going to let people down, but people will follow you. You can woo people and win people and be magnetic if you practice what you preach. I ask our staff, even with a lot, a lot of people not coming to church right now, I ask our staff to park on the other side of the gym. Mostly I walk to church, but if I come, I park, I park further than anybody. It's important that we say when we challenge people I don't always get it right but it's important for us to live with integrity and and I love this about Peter hey fellow fellow I'm not above you I'm not above you I'm with you and I'm in this with you anybody feel lonely today anybody feel like you need to grow tighter with your family and friends and hey we're fellow we're in this together that was bonus content I'll start over. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. This is the part, ready? Dot, dot, dot. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. Y'all know the difference between duty and delight? You know the difference between when it's ought and obligation or when it's like awesome and you want to do it? Do you know the difference between have to and get to? Do you know that? Can I tell you, man, that's not just me wordsmithing it up here. That's not me being pithy. Like, that's massive. Those things are massive. That's bonus content. Because you are willing, okay, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. We have a leadership problem today. We have a leadership problem today. And when leaders get power, there really becomes a problem. And Jesus taught, hey, leadership is this. It's shared power, and it's really not power because you're, you're laying yourself down. And that's what the church ought to be. And so when I'm studying this and preparing this, going to the master class of Jesus, talking about uh, what Jesus taught us about church, I stop when it says Jesus went to their synagogue. Hey, Jesus, this is Jesus' church. Second thing that I want to see as we're moving into this is the Sabbath. Is the Sabbath a good thing or did Jesus come to change it? Anybody know? Sabbath is like Old Testament. Isn't that right? So we don't need the Sabbath today? Wrong. Sabbath. Now there's disagreement. Let me say honest Christians have some disagreement on this. But the Sabbath is a good thing. Here's theologically why I believe we're spot on. God instituted the Sabbath at creation. All right? Creation is kind of an important thing. He established the Sabbath at creation, and it should be built into the warp and woof of who we are. Man, go hard. A friend of mine says, work like a beaver and play like an otter. And rest in there and make sure that you have a day of rest. It's probably one of the greatest sins of Americans today. 
I see it sometimes in my life. I see it sometimes in our staff. I won't look at anybody right now. But I see it like we want to go hard and busy, busy, busy. By the way, sometimes busy is a code word for lazy. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But listen, play hard and work hard and rest. We need rest. But the Pharisees, like so many things, like the customs and the procedures and the protocols, like the, the circumcision and the dietary customs of the day, Sabbath and such, they took it and just made it so legalistic. They made it so ironclad and airtight. They just sucked the joy out of it. Matthew 12 points us to Matthew 23. Any note takers, write down Matthew 23. Read that later today. Read that before bed tonight. And it's like there's seven woes. Woe, woe, woe. And it's woe to religion. It's woe to religious people that take rules and make them everything. That take non-essential items and substitute them for the deep matters of faith and jesus issues some woes i won't quote them now for the sake of time but jesus says woe to you who you know you clean the outside of the cup but inside look look at you inside you're not clean inside there's not purity of heart how important is a pure heart pretty much it's everything Jesus says, woe is you because when you're, when you're not right and you're just worried about the outside and image management and perception and people's opinions and you live for that, you're going to hurt other people. If you're a parent, you're going to hurt your kids. If you're married, you're going to hurt your spouse. If you're a leader in the church, you're going to hurt the church. But we carry that with us. And it says in Matthew 23, Jesus says, woe is you. You tie up heavy burdens on other people. Man, you're putting a weight on them. Like it sh- We should not make it difficult, Acts 15, for people to enter the kingdom of God. Like, we need this to be about Jesus, and really Jesus only. So here's what we need to learn from this, is that this Sabbath, Jesus coming to him and saying, hey, the Sabbath is good and it's needed, but just remember who's over the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath. So we always look to Jesus. And by the way, it says at the end here, the verses we're reading here, verse 14, that they uh, went out and then they conspired or plotted to destroy him, simply put, to kill him. Some English translations, I love this, they say they went out and had a meeting about how they might kill him. That's why I'm always careful. When I walk around the church facility, I see a few church leaders standing there. I always call them out. I call, hey, I know, you know, I, I'm suspicious of them. What, what are they meeting about, right? Uh, you know, I, we're not, are y'all meeting to, are y'all plotting to, to kill me? No, no, we're just having a meeting how we might kill you. Oh, okay, okay, that's cool, that's cool. But hey, listen, look, I'm not important enough for anybody probably to plot to kill me. But you can trash talk me. And so again, throwing this out to everybody, if you're 80 or 108, but certainly to the young people, you've heard this. This reminds me of a quote when in verse 14 it says, they plotted about how they might destroy him. It reminds me of a quote, if you want to be liked by everybody, sell ice cream. Don't be a leader. Like we, we could do that. I don't know how it would go. And uh, if things keep getting worse, maybe I'll try it. But you come on a Sunday morning, of course, in person or online, and I share a poem, three to five minutes, and just give everybody ice cream. Can't do that virtually. But everybody gets ice cream and a little poem, and then I think you would like me. Maybe, maybe everybody would like me. But to be a leader, listen to me, to open this book and to teach it, Martin Luther King Jr. said, not long before his assassination, that to be a pastor, you translate this to your life, but to be a pastor... You need a scholarly mind, you need the heart of a child, and you need the skin of a rhinoceros. And honestly, I, I might have one out of the three. So y'all pray for me. 
But here's the thing, I do, truthfully, I, I work with some young leaders. I'm mentoring a few young pastors and sometimes we sit and we're, we're talking about the future. We're talking about things that need to happen. We're talking about decisions. We're talking about hard things and you can just see someone who wants to please everybody, someone that doesn't want to make a hard decision and the hard decision needs to be made. There are some things, man, that they're like termites in the timber. They don't go away. They need to be addressed. And a leader needs to do that. If we're going to oversee the flock, if we're going to shepherd God's flock, it's, it's entrusted. If you're a pastor or you're an elder, you're entrusted with the souls of people. And you will be, I will be accountable for that. And so leadership is hard. And I look at some young guys, man, and it's my job. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot through my years, but I need to help some people. Look, I have to make some decisions that aren't popular. It's, it's, it's my job. I don't need to go out of my way to do this. All right. I don't want to be obnoxious, but look, I, you got to ruffle some feathers. You got to rattle some cages. You got to get some people mad at you. Again, nobody's going to plot to kill me. I'm just, I'm not significant, but you could talk trash. Hey, let me ask you, are you ready for somebody to talk trash about you? Are you ready to be a disciple? Are you ready for not everybody to like you always? So masterclass, here we are. We're going to do this rapid fire. Cue to the note takers, three things that Jesus, in fact, let's get, let me give them to you up front. Jesus shows them how to do church. Jesus shows them how to come to church and Jesus shows them how to respond in church. All right, y'all ready? How to do church, how to come to church, and then how to respond in church. So let's talk, let's talk first about number one, Jesus shows them how to do church. It says that he noticed a man with a withered hand. This account, you know, there are four gospels. There's John, and John was, John was different. John was just different. And the, the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have an account of this story that we just read. And it, it's interesting that the, the man was probably there, by all accounts, to hear Jesus. He wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And here's what I want you to know about this. The man had a withered hand, and in the Greek, and just medically, here, here's the thing, it means that it was weak and twisted. It means that his, his hand was deformed, and back then, I'm not sure that everybody's aware of this, but back then, um, different than today, we, we, we've evolved a little bit. The human heart hadn't changed, but the mind has changed and evolved uh, positively, progressively in some ways. But back then, more so than now, uh, there was blame attached to infirmities. Are you aware of this? Anybody remember John 9, the guy that was blind, the boy that was blind, and the leaders around Jesus said, why, Jesus, why, why, was he, why is he blind? Is it his sin or the sins of his parents? I mean, really? And so back then, blame was a sign, justice. Uh, there was a reason for it. And so with this man, uh, who wants a weak and twisted hand? Who wants an arm that they ca either can't lift or can barely lift? Most commentators said I, I, he, couldn't, he couldn't lift it. But then there's the shame because of the blame. And so this man, don't, don't mistake this story. This man's not going, hey, Jesus, here's my withered hand. Here's my withered hand. Can you do something about it? He was there to hear Jesus teach, and his, his hand was likely hidden under his robe but Jesus noticed he noticed it and so when we say how do we do church we need to be aware of the brokenness when Jesus teaches us how to do church he puts a broken person in front of them let this place not be a shiny showroom a perfect positive pleasant people 
I pray when we can open up these altars again, when pastors like me and others can stand bound front and welcome you, I pray that you would come. I pray that you wouldn't be ashamed of admitting your need, that you wouldn't be ashamed of admitting your weakness. And this story, Jesus brings this man to the front. But he was more than an object lesson. As you saw, he restored this man. He brought healing to this man. So may we be that place. May we be a place of healing. And the other accounts, just like this story. Here's the point that I want to give to you. Religion hurts. Jesus helps. How do we do church? The master teacher in his master class tells us that religion hurts, but Jesus helps. Oh, preacher, you're going too simple. Heard something like that before. They write books about that, Christian bookstores. Just let it sit with you for a second because it's so true. Religion hurts, but Jesus helps. And this is the place that we need to be. We need to not freak out when people come and they're hurting. We need to train ourselves to see like Jesus. Let me say that again. We need to train ourselves to see like Jesus. It's so easy. Now, no condemnation here. I right? just let just not trying to ruffle, not trying to rattle, but going back to what I said earlier, won't be popular here for a second, but just don't put up your defense mechanism so readily for a second. But Jesus, man, he wants to make disciples and he wants you to make disciples and he wants us to be not a church full of comfortable, nominal, casual Christians, but to be disciples. And in doing, Jesus is telling us, hey, We've got to sell out to him, and we have got to notice people who are hurting. We need to see people in their need. We need to see as he sees. Train our eyes. So it's easy to be consumers, to come to church and be like, oh, yeah, how was church day? So you're walking out to the parking lot, slipped on some ice. They should have fixed that. No bathrooms. Oh, my gosh, who's in charge there? Uh, He said Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't have done that. Jesus would have had bathrooms, running water. He would have, you know, turned it into wine, all that stuff. So I like the second song. Second song was good. First song, I don't know, Lauren, it was, but wait, wait, I was late, so I, I can't judge the first song. And coffee, coffee wasn't that good, but, uh, you know, it's, it's free, but I know, I know it's free, but I like, my, I like my free coffee to taste good, like Starbucks. It's free, but, you know, I pay $4 every day, but I want the free stuff to taste just as good as the $4 stuff. And the preacher, you know, he's wearing another pair of shoes, how much those shoes cost, you know, uh, blah, 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 and just on and on and on. And we, we critique and we judge and we come as consumers but what if you came what if the people of God and cynics and seekers and skeptics what if we gather together and we didn't look around the room and we didn't come so much as critics and consumers but we said Lord open my eyes open my eyes to see as you would want me to see Open my eyes and train myself. You ever think about training? I mean, I know you do with, I'm um, looking at Chris Mixon who read a powerful scripture for us today. Man, this dude, you know, tatted up, got the beard, got the six pack, didn't know I was going to talk about you today. I'll get back to Jesus soon. But Chris is, man, Chris is all, Chris is all about it. Um, listen, when we're, when we're together like this, we, we tend to, to, to think, well, there's not a lot of uh, training when it comes to it. Chris runs about 10, 15, 20 miles a day, it seems, in the rain and in the snow. There's training there. Some of you 
or athletes. Some of you think about your craft. Some of you, I'm looking at a 100-mile trail runner over here in this part of our church today. He's in my small group. He's run 100 miles in, on trails in Colorado. What? I mean, training, training, training. But do you ever think about training spiritually? Do you ever think about devoting your mind to God? Do you ever think about rhythms and practice and habits that you need to do daily, weekly, regularly? Not legalistic things, not fair sequel things, but things that would bring delight, that would honor. Do you ever think about training? First Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Some of you know this. There's a contrast. Hear it because it's, a, it's pretty subtle. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to live and see like Jesus. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, we either, one of my favorite writers says, when it comes to our bodies, we either, we're either obsessors or we're neglectors. Now, you decide where you are. Some people, you know, just, we don't do much about our bodies, don't think about our bodies, don't care for our bodies. Some of us are obsessed about it, just obsessed about our bodies. And so maybe we all need to hear this. But he's not saying exercise isn't important. He's just saying exercise has value for this life, and it does. Listen, it does. But godliness holds value to this life and the life to come. There was athletics when Paul was writing this. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 25, talking about training, talking about training to see like Jesus, to live like Jesus. Everyone who competes in the games, this was, this was almost the Olympics. It was pre-Olympics. It was games that led to the Olympics. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. You're not at home eating Twinkies. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Strict training, not going to last. Devote your life, not going to last. Be careful. It does have value. If you're obsessor, if you're obsessed about it, be careful. If you're a neglector, come on, get, let's get to walk in Mississippi. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. In other words, the athlete gets this wreath and it's a perishable wreath. And the bank account can diminish. And the fame and accolades fade. Anybody recognize the picture of this athlete? This is Vincent Jackson. And if you hadn't followed the news this past week, I bet you think, oh, this is when the preacher uses a Super Bowl illustration about the... Uh, Super Bowl winning champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won it on their home field, Tom Brady and Gronk and others. Vincent Jackson played for the Tampa Bay, but did not play this year, did not play in the Super Bowl. A former Buck, a former athlete who took his life alone in a hotel room this past week. He was in strict training to be at the top of his game. Great athlete. You wouldn't believe, so anybody, anybody follow this, anybody? All the athletes that spoke out this week about his death. Y'all see some of this? Just the pain. And some athletes, big men, big men playing the game today, crying out for help. Help us. Help us. These collisions, uh, the fame, uh, the lifestyle, the, the, the short career, the all, all your money, most of your money up front. There's a lot of stuff involved in this. His family, a day before yesterday, did you see this? The day before yesterday, they said they're donating his brain for science, for research, to find out about CTE. The pain. What do we notice? What do we train ourselves for? Is what, you tr what you're training yourself for, does it matter? And does it have eternal 
implications. Do you see the hurting and do you see the broken among you? That's what Jesus desires for us. Second point beyond just um, how do we do church, Jesus shows them how to come to church. All right, you ready? Jesus shows them how to come to church. And in this passage, in this story, Jesus heals the man. He restores him, as we saw. I want to show you another picture. This happened right here. This was a few years back. Anybody remember the Grand Tiers? This is Wells Grand Tier. And do you notice where he is? He's right here. He's right here. We got a rug covering it, but Wells is right there. And can you see him? He's telling me to be quiet. See that? This was 2015. And I remember thinking, dude, come on. I'm the preacher. And you're up here on, on my stage telling me to be quiet. I'm the preacher and you're the kid. You can zoom in on that. You can see, uh, we can't today, but you can see um, a grandfather there with his hands over his eyes, not quite proud in that moment. But this kid's telling the preacher to be quiet. I remember when that happened, this guy, they just moved from Jackson to Nashville to Birmingham. They're in Birmingham now, and he sent me this this week. said, hey, thank you for loving Jackson and praying for Fondren Church during these tough times. This kid is a lot bigger and five, I guess five, six years older now. But I remember in that moment thinking, dude, you don't tell me what to do. It's not your role. And in this story, I can't help but think, man, we don't tell Jesus what to do. Like, listen to me, you're not the doctor. You're not the great physician. Even if you're here today and you're a doctor, you're not the doctor. You're not the great physician. So what is our role? How do we come to church? I want to give you two things from this story. We come as a doctor's assistant. I want to ask you to do that, to not come as a consumer, but a disciple, to come as a doctor's assistant. Again, to train yourself. Uh, one time I was with two friends, Matt and Mark, Mark Hopkins, I'll tell you the full name. We were cutting grass in Starkville, Mississippi. We had a little lawn business one summer. This happened to us twice, but this particular time, this was the second time, the last time. But we ran over, um, Mark ran over. In, hidden in the grass when he was cutting with the mower, the push mower, ran over a yellow jacket nest that he didn't see. And the yellow jacket just ran up on him and stung him all over. And he came around from the backyard to the side yard. I was in the front. He just, uh, I was probably doing supervisory work and he was just slapping himself and screaming and everything. And when we, when we peeled these yellow jackets off of him, we thought, well, let, you know, let's get back to work. We got this business. Uh, our parents don't think we can do it. And we got, we're all trying to buy a, a vehicle. I was trying to buy a Jeep Wrangler. And let's, uh, let's do this. Let's make our money. Let's, let's finish. And Mars like, man, I got Robert, you got to take me to the hospital. You got to take me to the hospital. I'm like, no, you're good. You're good. You got to take me to the hospital. I'm like, man, I, th I think you're good. And then he started just getting all like, he was just swelling up and puffy. And Eric, you know what I'm talking about? It was bad. It was bad. And then, so I, I take him uh, against my will. I take him to the hospital and the emergency doctor's like, oh my goodness, like, let's get him in here now. And it was like life or death. And look, I was not trained <laughs> to notice <laughs> life or death. I really like my friends. I'm looking for a few new ones if anybody's interested. But I just, you know, I, I don't like to push the, the panic button too soon. But I, I didn't think it was life or death. And then I learned from a trained professional that it was life or death. They saved Mark's life. I don't, I've lost touch. But anyway, <laughs> good guy. And we got him to the hospital. Look, we need to be trained to see. And so we need to come to the expert. And Jesus is the expert, but we partner with him. Could you imagine a doctor going into the emergency room and they get grossed out? Like, oh, gross. Oh, what'd you do with your arm? 
So listen, when it comes to people's sin, when it comes to the broken, when it comes to someone coming and hiding their weakness, listen to me, we don't just need eyes for it, we need a stomach for it. Think about a restaurant server. Have you ever, be gracious to people, be gracious to the church without bathrooms, be gracious to everybody when you go out to be served at a restaurant anywhere, be gracious, it's hard. I, I, look, once every two weeks, I'm praying with a business owner who may not make it. And even if they make it, like they're lo- it's so difficult. But let me pick on them for a second. Have you ever been out to a restaurant where there's a server and like the, the server is put out with you and it's a, and you don't deserve it. Of course you don't, but you're just given an order. It's a basic order. I'll take the, this and the, you know, the chicken salad and the, you know, thing on the side and pasta salad and whatever. And then, uh, and they're, they're just put out with you. It's like, oh, I'd like to, hey, can I get a drink? Like, oh, you want a drink? They're just, they're put out with you. So let me ask you, do we want to be a church that's inconvenienced by people's sin? Do we want to be a place where you have to show your strong hand only and hide your weak hand? Or do we want to be a place where everybody can come? So I'm inviting you to, to be not a consumer but to be a doctor's assistant. You ain't the doctor. That kid was telling me to be quiet on the stage. He ain't the preacher. You're not the doctor. I'm not the doctor. Let's be doctor's assistants. And a second thing from this story is not just a doctor's assistant, but be a patient. Be a patient. Maybe you come and you don't want to have the eyes of a consumer. In fact, God's kind of touched you and you're excited about coming to God's house. And you, you begin worshiping. The first song's good, Lauren. The second song's great. The third song, it's all great. And you're singing, and you're like, Lord, who needs to be saved today? Lord, who needs a special touch? Lord, who, who, who needs to be redeemed? Who needs to be reconciled? He, who needs a fresh start? And you come, and you're just, you're just praying that people would be touched today. That you, you come, and you, you're sort of a doctor's assistant. You're, you want to see, and you want to pray, and you want to be in touch with the Spirit. I pray that we have more of those at FC. But during one of those songs, when you're worshiping, all of a sudden, it's like, I'm the one who needs a doctor today. I'm the patient. I'm the one with the withered hand. Lord, it's me. This, this sin that I can't get, seem to get past, Lord, I need you. This thing that I can't get over, Lord, I need you. I am the broken one. I am the one that cries out in one other account to the son of David, like the blind beggar, son of David, have mercy on me. I am the one, I am the one that cries out. I am the one in need. I'm the patient. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Sometimes, or all the time, some of you, some of us come only as doctor's assistants and never the patient. And some of us come as patients and never the doctor's assistant. Let's let Jesus be the perfect healer. And let's bring our need to him. What is it for you? What's happening for you? Typical church today, and look, we're, str- we're, we're inflicted with it. We're inflicted with it. I'm guilty of it sometimes. How you doing? Man, good, good, yeah, good. Tough, tough out there, but man, I'm doing good. Marriage, good. Kids, good, man. Giving, giving my tithe, coming to church, excited about things. Yeah, maybe get back in the small group. Man, good. Things are good. And there's something eating at you inside. And there's something that's weak and dangled and twisted, but you keep it hidden. It's a source of shame for you. And it's the very thing, and some of you may have guessed, I'm already going here, James chapter 5. 
Confess your sins. Oh, I don't want to. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You see, it sometimes, a lot of times when God heals, he uses assistance to help him with his healing. And to the extent that you and I bring it to the light and ask for help. Are you willing to be a patient? Are you willing to be a doctor's assistant? Last thing. Not just how to do church, how to come to church. He shows us how to respond in church. So what's the response? Jesus says, I don't know if anybody caught this, but Jesus asked the man to, to, to stretch in the ESV. That's what we read from mostly here. He asked him to stretch out his hand. Now here's the thing. He couldn't do it. Jesus asked him to do something that he couldn't naturally do to demonstrate his faith. Uh, you know, y'all know where I'm going, right? Jesus asked him to do something he couldn't do. He asked him to do something impossible in himself to demonstrate faith. Here's how, here's a pattern in scripture that I want to give to you. Here's, this is just in so many lives. Call, God calls to this man, stretch out your withered hand. There's fear. Oh my gosh, I can't do that. Then there's always a reassurance, which is God's presence. I will be with you. You I can't think of any examples when he says, it's going to be really great. It's going to go easy. It's going to be an easy bake oven, baby, now now that you've stepped out. But he gives the assurance that I will be with you, my presence. And then there's this decision that the women and men of the Bible make. And so if, if it's like Moses and Gideon, they say yes. If it's like the 10 frightened spies, y'all know that story, the 10 frightened spies, they say no. Or the rich young ruler, they say no. But here's the thing, whether it's yes or no, whether you say yes or no to God, it changes your life. Both decisions change your life. And if you say no, it changes your life. You ready? It makes you a little more resistant the next time. It makes you closed off to his call. It makes you, and be warned about this, I say it in love, but the Bible's heavy with this, it makes you harden your heart. And that's a dangerous thing. When you say yes, and when you say no, it can change your life. It will change your life. So what choice do you make? In this story, this put up your arm, stretch out your hand, Jesus wants him to go first. Jesus always goes first, but there's that part when we go first, if that makes sense. So when we we round toward home, I want want you to think about a couple of things. Uh, Note takers, I'm going to give you two words when we think about faith. But how do we respond at church? Faith, 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 faith. Always faith. First word is examine. Second word is fear. So examine is a really uh, important word. Through the centuries, thinkers, astute thinkers, have told us that we ought to examine. In fact, Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. St. Augustine prayed a prayer, Lord, help me to know thee, help me to know me. Ice cube, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Here are four passages 
take a picture of them or look at them later. I won't quote them, but I'll tell you briefly what they say. First Corinthians eleven twenty eight tells us we'll do this next Sunday. But when we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, we should examine ourselves. Don't just do it. But examine yourself. Galatians 6, that part about going to someone who's caught in sin, caught in trespasses, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. But love your brother or sister and go to them with the spirit of restoration. But it says you better test yourself. Examine yourself. Lamentations 340. Examine your works and let the Lord restore you. You, you examine yourself. You realize you've drifted. You need to come back. 2 Corinthians 13.5 is germane to my sermon right now as we close. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You may not be in the faith. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. I'm a Mississippian. We think this. We think Jesus, and some of you are taught this way. I'd like to just shatter it right now if I could, if God could. But we're taught this, that we think Jesus said, uh, this is the truth. Believe in it. And what Jesus really said was, I am the truth. Follow me. Test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Something about fear, because it's what keeps us from faith. Real quick, just a few thoughts I want to share with you. First is, I think you all know this, the media frightens us because fear sells. Mm. Second, government agencies are often set up so their continued funding depends on public perception that they are protecting us from frightening risk. You know this? Thirdly, parents may have the worst time of all with fear. As parents, your hopes and dreams and callings are impaired by distorted fears and worries. Thus, you will be limiting the hopes and dreams and callings of your children. They will learn from you that the only way to go through life is to be filled with anxiety and fear. This week, um, a couple days ago, I posted, sorry, our family 10 years ago. And I remember wondering what this faith journey would mean to our family. And really, I wondered what it would do to our family. And our story is still being written. But I want to say I'm proud that our kids see us take steps of faith. They see us worry. I tell my kids to be safe like you do. But you know what? I don't want them to be that safe. I want them to take risks because there's, there's risk and there's comfort. I'm not going to cry in the 11 o'clock. I just know it. So here's the thing. We close with this. Lauren, you guys, come on up. Jesus is still saying today, stretch out your withered hand. He still wants us to display faith. To not play it safe. To trust Him. It's the only way that you're going to grow. When, uh, when I was a little kid, about three summers in a row, we had a little game in our neighborhood. We had a little game where we uh, went out in a hot summer nights, a certain time of night, and we would catch fireflies. And we'd bring them back in these jars. Of course, the jars had ventilation. No fireflies were harmed in this game. We'd go out and catch them. And we had like little, not mating calls, but mating signals. We didn't know it. We didn't understand the ramifications of, at the time of 
love. But we just went out with these lights and we were told to do them like this and the fireflies would come, innocent little children. And our parents, I guess, were living vicariously through us. They wanted us to win. I was quite dominant, by the way, one, two or three of those years. Crazy to go out and get these fireflies and you bring it back in these jars and then counting, like you think it was hard to count election results. This was very controversial. How many fireflies do you actually have in the jar because they move and it was, some of the outcomes were disputed. But here's the thing about fireflies. Unlike a lot of animals, they're not coordinated like geese or the V formation. Fireflies, they just just flash different times, different places, it's not coordinated. When Jesus talks to us about living in faith and being disciples and shining our light, that's kind of like the church. You go do a deed and you step out in faith and you step out in faith and you hear God's call and you show up to somebody in need and you comfort one another and you bear one another's burdens and you shovel snow. You get to do that once every two years in Mississippi. You show up just not really that coordinated. Like, let's don't be too organized. But just we show up and we love. And here's the thing about fireflies. You don't, you don't need to be the best light or the brightest light. You, you ready for this? You need to be the closest light. You need to shine and you'll have the most impact on the people closest to you. Who are you close to? Who can you shine a light on? Man, let's be people who welcome everybody, who are doctor's assistants and and patients. And we see you can be here. You can be a part of this place of faith. The gathered body, the small group, the one-on-one. And we want to be a place where you don't have to hide in shame but you can stretch that hand out. And can I tell you this? Man, we gotta fight that and fight that and fight that and fight that because it's so humid to hide the weakness, to hide your withered hand. And Jesus is like, show it. Would you stand? I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna start preaching shorter sermons next week. Father, thank you for uh, this word. I pray that... um, we would uh, reach out for prayer. We would admit our need. And God, more and more over these weeks and months and certainly years, Lord, we would gather and not be a shiny showroom, but be a place where we don't, we're not inconvenienced by brokenness and sin, but we take it to the perfect healer. And so heal as we sing and worship and close in Jesus.